beloved? Maybe six or eight months ago, I can't remember when, the, maybe it's longer ago than that, we had an education hour where I was taking on the my body, my choice terminology having to do with vaccination, or masks, I guess at the time, uh, which of course is grabbing on to the terminology of the um, pro-death category of, of unborn infants that we have that same terminology used. And we, we talked about it with reference particularly to our own bodies, and if they're really ours. Right? The, uh, the argument is, my body, therefore, I make the choices about what happens to it. It's half right, but it's half wrong as well. And it's, it's half misleading as we go. It's mis, misguided in a, in a lie that our bodies really are ours. That we really belong to ourselves. That's a humanistic lie. Like, we're our own owners. We're the masters of ourselves. Well, God's given us responsibility over ourselves. Right? I have more responsibility over myself and my actions and my life than I do over yours. Though I might have some responsibility there, too. Either as a parent or a pastor or other things. Where, you know, we have these layers of relationships and responsibilities. But none of them entail and none of them imply that we are our own. That we own ourselves. And that we're free to dispose of ourselves how we see fit. That's a lie. We belong to God. It is God who has made us. And, as we'll hear, it's God, if you're in Christ Jesus, who has redeemed you and purchased you with a price. So, therefore, it's a delusion that we own ourselves. It's a lie that we believe as humans, fallen humans, that we own ourselves. Again, we are responsible for ourselves, among, other, among all sorts of other things. But that doesn't mean that we own ourselves or our, our own masters. We see that addressed here, I think, in this passage as we get to verse 7. We get life and death. None lives to himself and none dies to himself. If we live, we live to Christ. This is Christian. If we die, we die to Christ. So whether we live or die, we are Christ's. Clearly showing that Christ owns us. He is our master. He's the one who disposes of us. Now, as we get to this passage... You might think, I certainly thought coming into it, is you get this, well, none of us lives to himself. Think, oh, well, that's right, we have to live for other people, right? Uh, God's given us gifts to give to other people. This whole passage, the whole passage is how to live in love. Right? How to love in community when you have differences of, of opinion on the way things should go. How religious feasts should be kept or what kind of meals we should eat. And as we've talked about that, we have to get along in love because love binds all this together. So just in that context, I think, yeah, when Paul says, he starts off, none of us lives to himself, and none of us dies to himself. I'm like, yeah, Paul, we live and die together as a body, right? Or as, as, at least as neighbors. But he doesn't go there, does he? He doesn't tell us that we have to live for the love of one another and serve one another. We do that, and that's included as well. But right here, Christian, listen. He takes it right, right on down to the subfloor, as low as he can go. He takes it right on down to the bedrock and says, this is an issue of life and death. And Christian, your life for the living is in Christ. And your death for the dying is in Christ. So whether you live or you die, you are Christ's. And Christ is Lord of the living and the dead. It's all about Jesus. He's the central thing. So as we think about our lives, our living and our dying, 
spending our lives. You guys spend your lives every day as if it were so much money, right? Every day, you just, your hours go out, your energy goes out, your, your life goes out, you work, you pour it into other people, you pour it around. All of that life is to Christ. Not a single part of it accepted. It's all to Christ. It is a life to Christ and a death the same way. Even you young whippersnappers, you're going to die. Death will come. Death will come. Now, you might die in a nursing home many years from now, you know, not knowing what the color orange is and thinking you're a turnip laying in the bed. That could happen. You might die with a sword and fire, a martyr's death for Christ. You might die on the battlefield somewhere off in the world that our government would want to send you and have you killed. I don't know how you're going to die. The Lord does. And you don't. But you are going to die. That death is a death to the Lord. Your life will be poured out when it's poured out for the Lord Jesus. Whether we live or die, we live and die in Christ Jesus. We don't live to ourselves. We live to Him. We don't die to ourselves. We die to him. So we see that Paul here just drives down to the very basis of our lives. One might ask, and I'll answer the question later, what is your only comfort in life and in death? Now we have many comforts in life, don't we? Praise the Lord. We have many comforts in life. We have one comfort in death. Christian, we have one comfort in death. And that one comfort is our only comfort in life and in death. That we belong not to ourselves. We are not our own. We don't own ourselves. But we belong to our faithful Savior, Christ Jesus. More of that later. Paul takes us down to the bedrock. Life and death issues. Where is your true identity? Who are you for real? When you put your head in the pillow at night and you get away from all the like games you play and all the walls and facades you put up and, and all this stuff, who are you really? Are you your own? Or do you belong to someone else? I don't mean your husband. I don't mean your parents. I mean the Lord of heaven and earth. Jesus, the Christ of God. Are you his? Is he yours? Is that your identity? Or something else? And if something else, then you might have comforts in life. But you will have no comfort in death. Jesus overcomes death and judgment. He is the one, and there is no other. Therefore, if we're in Christ Jesus, does not open up an entire reservoir of confidence that we're Christ. We can't lose. We're, we're in Him. We can be bold. We can, we can pour our life out. Whether it's day to day in the grind, at work, at home, doing the dishes, changing the diapers, doing homework. Right? That, that's pouring yourself out in the day to day grind, right? Whether you live... You live to Christ, or whether you die, you die to Christ. 
So when it comes time for us to lay our lives down, we can have confidence. Now, some people fear death amazingly. They start thinking about that. Like, i got to turn the mind off. It's like a, you know, a pressure release. You can't think about that. But Christian, you should not fear death. Straight out. You should not fear death. Christ has tasted it for you and come back from the dead victorious and makes you a promise. You have everlasting life in Jesus Christ. Oh, death, where's your sting? Where's your victory grave? The grave that swallows up every life. The one that we can't stop it. It's like the black hole. We can't stop from going into it. Jesus Christ came back out of it victorious. It says, now you live in me forever. So quit being scared, whether of death or of other people. You know, it's funny. I get to the gas station the other day. It's embarrassing. I get to the gas station the other day. This is the second time. It's more embarrassing. And there's a guy pumping my gas. It's kind of funny. He's got a fun medallion. Looks interesting. Has something to talk about. I need to tell the gospel to that guy. I need to tell the gospel. And I whip out. I'm a pastor, right? I can stand up here and herald the gospel. But I find that I can't even tell a gas station attendant, hey, do you know about Jesus? Anyway, we're full of cowardice. We're full of laziness. But we're in Christ Jesus. And God says, no, 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 no. You have a resource, an abundant resource of power in Christ Jesus in His resurrection. Therefore, whether you live or you die, you are Christ's. Listen to Paul's confidence in Christ, in his own life. This is from Philippians chapter 1. It is uh, Paul's a prison letter. Paul's writing from prison. He doesn't know what's going to happen to him in prison. Uh, it could go very badly for him. But here's what he writes, starting in verse 18. Yes, I will rejoice. Just starting right there. Yes, I will rejoice, for I know that through your prayers and the help of the Spirit of Jesus Christ, this will turn out for my deliverance. That's getting out of prison. But with the full courage, now, as always, Christ will be honored in my body, whether by my life or by death. For to me, to live is Christ, and to die is gain. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labor for me. Yet which I shall, which shall I choose, I cannot tell. I'm hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart to be with Christ, for that is far better but to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. A number of things to pull out of there, and we'll see these kind of little themes coming through. The first is, like, Paul says, listen, I'm in Christ, and whether I live or my... This body, his body, his physical body, he'll pour it out. Right? He's going to die, and whether he lives or dies in the body, Christ will be glorified. But we also have this great desire Paul has. Now, I want you to just search your own minds a little bit, your own experience. Do you like Paul? As to say, in the same way as Paul, do you desire to go be with Christ? We heard that with Adoray and Cookie. Right? It's not fair. Right? Bob went before her. And Cookie's going to go before her. Be like Miley's grandmother, her tutu, that all her friends just died all around her. But that's one thing. That's one human reality of getting old. But the Christian reality, the truth of it is, they're in Christ. We weep. We sorrow. They rejoice. 
exceedingly. And Paul says, I think I want that. <laughs> oh, how about she's having? I want that. But if I have to stay here in this body, that's okay. I'm hard-pressed to know if I want to be with Christ right now or just keep trucking. But if I keep trucking, it's good for you. It's a benefit to the church that Paul continues on doing his work. He'd be busy about the work of the Lord while he has his life. And when God says, your blood will be drained from you, so it is. And he'll glorify the Lord in his death as well. To live is Christ. To die is gain. Do you think so? Or do you kind of hang on to the thing? No, to live is gain. To die is kind of bogus. Christ has given us this life. He's commanded us to serve him with this life, to pour it out for him. And then when he takes it, he'll take it. But he'll never take it all the way. It's always in him. Christian, we live forever in Christ Jesus. So to live is Christ, therefore, and to die is gain. Moving on to the next step in the fullness of this redemption of Christ Jesus, which, to be sure, will blow our puny little minds. We don't even have any idea of what's laid ahead for us. We read that somewhere. If we live, Christian, all our energies, all our priorities, all our money, all our relationships, even our very bodies, we live and give to Christ. They're in service to Him. If we die, as I say, whether in the nursing home or in the fires of martyrdom, we die for Christ. We live and die in Christ. He is the Lord, the Master of the living and the dead. Now, some might say, you're dumb. I can't believe you talk like that because I want to live and I want the stuff I want and I don't want to serve somebody else. I'm going to serve myself and I'm, I, I am my own master. And you can't tell me otherwise. I think that's in our own hearts to some degree. It's certainly in the worldly heart, the fallen heart, the unredeemed heart, where they're under the delusion that they are their own, that they own themselves. But, of course, they're fools. They're fools in the classic proverbial sense. They don't trust God. They don't trust the Word of God. They don't see that, like Christ says, whatever you give up in this life, I will repay to you a hundredfold in the age to come. They say, we don't believe that. We want it now, baby. I want it now and here. No pie in the sky. No faith. I want to see it. I want to hold it. I want a safe full of gold. That's what I want. This life, right now, my priorities. Christ is calling us out of that. Say, see past that. See through all that transient stuff because even the man who's very self-assured and quite capable and does what he wants still dies and leaves it all in the end. All the riches, gone. All the power, gone. We only live for a short period. Our lives are but a vapor, a mist that blows by in the wind, even if it's a rich mist. Even if it's a powerful mist, it's a mist. And it's blown away in the end. They are short-sighted and faithless. But Christian, may not, may that not be the case with us. May we see the long game in Christ Jesus and what he's doing. And therefore be able to suffer in our lives and give them to Christ. And suffer in our death and give that to Christ. And say we're all Christ's. We belong to him. He indeed is our owner. If God is our owner by creation, and is he not our owner by creation? 
as not the whole earth of the Lord's. Did we not read in Psalm 95 a little earlier? The seas of the Lord, for he made it. The heavens above, the earth beneath, it's all God's. Well, did you, did you make yourself? You, you didn't keep yourself alive through the night. Did you, did you like, make yourself? Are you your own origin and cause? None of those things. Though we don't think that way. We just kind of move under our own powers and think things are fine and good, knowing that, not remembering that even the very powers and energies that we have day by day are come from God. They are gifts of God, the Holy Spirit, even to the godless, that they would have energy and life day by day. Where did energy and life come from but the source of energy and life? So we are Christ. We, are, we, we belong to God by sheer creation. How much more by redemption? How much more by Christ purchasing us by his blood and saying, now you're mine and I'm yours. This is all tied in with the Holy Spirit as well. The spirit of freedom, the spirit of adoption, whereby we become children of God, part of his family, and have an inheritance in Christ Jesus. In 1 Corinthians 6, verses 18 to 20, we reread this. And notice again the focus on the body and the Holy Spirit and other things that are involved. And we can read the longer passage that has more to do with the sexual immorality uh, that he brings up here at the beginning of our, our reading. In 1 Corinthians 6, flee from sexual immorality. Every other sin a person commits is outside the body, but sexual, the sexually immoral person sins against his own body. Or do you not know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit within you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. You are bought with a price. So glorify God in your body. So glorify God in your body. It seems amazing to people that God would tell us how to operate with our bodies, what to do with them, how to keep them pure, how to keep them right. So it wasn't just whatever I want to do with this thing, what I should do? No, not at all. In fact, we have many bad ideas about what to do with our bodies when it comes to sexual immorality, for certain, uh, but all sorts of other things as well. This body that you have, when you're sitting there in, that's God's. Not only did he make it and give it to you, but he commands you in Christ Jesus as a purchased body that you honor him with all of you, including the physical realities. And saying not only that, but in this, in this amazing reality of the incarnation, okay, this is eternal God becoming a man, becoming flesh, becoming a person. We have the, the addendum of that, of the Holy Spirit dwelling in us. Right? The risen Christ is not on earth. You don't see him. Our connection with the risen Christ reigning at the right hand of God, is the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit connects us in a living way to the living Christ. Feeds us through the Word. Feeds us in sacrament. Feeds us Christ. He is the connection. It's the Spirit that connects us, I'm sorry, to, to Him. And the Spirit, here it says, makes its temple, His temple, in our bodies. If you're regenerate, if you've been born again by the Spirit of God, God, the Holy Spirit, lives in you. And that body of yours is a temple. What do you do with the temple? You worship. You take this body and you worship the Lord with it. You do what God calls you to do with it, and you don't do what God tells you not to do with it. You honor the Lord in your body. So the slaves of Christ... 
bought with a price, we are under command. And then Paul asked the question then. So we're all slaves of Christ, so why, why do you judge one another? Right, and that's kind of getting back to the main theme of this whole passage. That we got this, we got these divisions in the church where uh, some factions feel like they're free to do things, and the other group judges them, and the other group feels like they're not free to do things, and they judge these people over here back and forth. They have these divisions in, in the church of Jesus Christ. But the truth is, we're all just slaves to a single master. It's Jesus Christ we serve, the Lord, the master of the living and the dead. He's the one we serve, and the Lord is going to ju- render judgment upon us. Not one another. I'm not going to be held to Elisa's standard for me. And Elisa's not going to be held to my standard for her. I think there's something to be said that I will be held to the standard I hold for her. <laughs> there's something written about that. The judgment you judge, that's going to be used in judgment against you. So watch out. Watch out. You ever think about that one, really? Give some thought to it. How intensely judgmental you are. No question. Watch out. Paul says, no, this one, especially in the church, we're not judging each other that way. Christ will judge us. And notice they are interchanged in this whole passage, the whole passage, between the Lord and God. The Lord and God. The Lord is Jesus. His judgment is coming, just as God's is. And we see again and again this bringing together of the Lord and God, because the Lord Jesus is God. We see the final judgment is in the hands of the Son. It's the judgment of God in the hands of Jesus, the Son of God. Why do you judge one another? Why do you despise one another? Don't you know you're just a slave? And you're a slave that's been purchased out of death by the blood of the Son of God. And he says, now, I've loved you. You go love one another. You figure out how to take care of that judginess and that judgmentalism. And love one another, trusting the Lord, because the Lord's able to make you stand, even though I'm not so sure about it. And those of you who know me, the Lord's able to make me stand, even though you're not so sure about it either. That's the way it goes. Our, our confidence isn't really in one another, it's in the Lord who makes us stand. It's in the Lord who will render judgment. So I'll ask you, what is your only comfort in life and in death? I'll give you the full answer this time. It's kind of a long one. It's the famous one from Heidelberg Catechism number one. Uh, maybe not quite as famous as Westminster Catechism number one, but that's probably because of the size. Because Westminster's pretty short. This one's a little longer. What is your only comfort, listen carefully, in life and in death, that I am not my own, but belong, body and soul, both in life and in death, to my faithful Savior, Jesus Christ? He has fully paid for all my sins, with his precious blood, and has set me free from all the power of the devil. He also preserves me in such a way that without the will of my heavenly Father, not a hair can fall from my head. Indeed, all things must work together for my salvation. Therefore, by his Holy Spirit, he assures me of eternal life and makes me heartily willing and ready from now on to live for him. Hubbub. There's an answer. What's your only comfort? The triune God has made salvation through Jesus Christ and has made me heartily willing, henceforth, to give myself to Him. What a wonderful answer. That's our comfort. God has given Himself to us in Christ Jesus. 
Therefore, let us joyfully give ourselves to Him in Christ Jesus as well. Well, here we get finally into the judgment of Christ. Now, the salvation of Christ is a happy... It's an easier thing to preach. It's a happy thing to think about. The judgment of Christ is a harder thing to preach and a much harder thing to think about. The judgment of God through Christ Jesus. So, starting at verse 10. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or why, you who despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue confess to to God, so then each of us must give an account of himself to God. So he peels back with this idea of the judgment of God to Isaiah 45. So flip back to Isaiah 45. You might be more inclined to flip over to Philippians 2, being the most famous place, I think, where we, we know this passage from, but they're both drawing from, of course, Isaiah, Isaiah 45. And I'll read the last section of this chapter. I'll start reading in verse 18. Um, but notice this is really, in, in most of the passage here, is a call to the expansive salvation that God is going to provide, um, and then the judgment to follow. So starting at verse 18. For thus says Yahweh, who created the heavens, he is God, who formed the earth and made it. He established it and did not create it empty. He formed it to be inhabited. I am Yahweh and there is no other. I did not speak in secret in the land of darkness. I did not say to the offspring of Jacob, seek me in vain. I, Yahweh, speak the truth. I declare what is right. Assemble yourselves and come. Draw near together, you survivors of the nations. They have no knowledge who carry about their wooden idols and keep on praying to a God that cannot save. So there's a call to the, the Gentiles, the idolaters. Declare and present your case and let them take counsel together. Who told this long ago? Who declared it of old? Was it not I, Yahweh? And there is no other God beside me, a righteous God and a Savior. There is none beside me. Turn to me and be saved, all the ends of the earth, for I am God and there is no other. By myself I have sworn, from my mouth has gone out righteousness, a word that shall not return. To me every knee shall bow, and every tongue shall swear allegiance. Only in Yahweh it shall be said of me, are the righteous and strength to him shall come and be and be ashamed all who were incensed against him and Yahweh in Yahweh all the offspring of Israel shall be justified and shall glory so just kind of read the broader passage that contains that one that gets used a number of times there um, most frequently but here's here's God saying all you, all you Gentiles and those who are far off who have served God that can't save here I am I'm, I'm the only one who saves. I'm the only God of salvation. Come to me. In fact, every knee shall bow and every tongue confess. All around the world, all of, all of Israel shall be saved. We read something very similar in Romans. God is the God of salvation, but he's also the God of judgment. He's the God of salvation. He's also the God of judgment. And he extends this salvation. He extends this gift of, of, of grace out of judgment, out of wrath, into salvation, all the way to the idolaters, to those who worship false gods made of wood that cannot save or talk or do anything else, or who behind them worship demons and are bound bound over into the worship of demons and the lifestyle that comes from it. That invitation goes to them, which is to say it comes to us. It comes to us. 
We're the far-flung nations, the idolaters. Now we have generations of Christians before us who've, who brought the Word of God and, and kept faithful testimony and worship through the years. Praise the Lord for that. But don't forget where we came from. Idolatry. Paganism. Bound over into that, into that bondage. And Christ has come, says, this is, come into freedom. Come into the life of the sons of God, the adopted sons of God through Christ Jesus. This salvation comes to the idolaters. That's to say, it comes to you. The offer of salvation, the gift of grace is come. Come into the Lord Jesus Christ. One thing I think about is I think about the great salvation of Jesus. And my mind goes to a number of places, but this week it went to Ephesians 1. And, it, you know, there's, Ephesians 1 is a passage that I've gone through many times, read through many times, studied through a number of times. And, you know, we can talk about the realities there of the salvation of God and predestination and, and, um, and all the things that are built into that chapter, which are incredible. But one thing that often is skipped by is toward verse 10. Let me get there and read it. Which is the incredible expansive nature of Christ's salvation. I'll start reading at verse 7. In Him, in Jesus, we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven, and things on earth. Now those things might just be people. They certainly include people, right? The people in heaven, the people on earth, those who have gone before, the dead in Christ, the living in Christ, all will be brought together in Christ. But I think the expanse is much bigger than that. There's a cosmic redemption. There's a redemption of the whole cosmos in Jesus Christ. Centering in on the elect of God, the very people of God in the body of Christ. Now listen, especially you little ones who kind of come up in this, and it's, it's kind of like, yeah, we hear this stuff all the time. This is kind of humdrum. Um, Move on to something like a football game. By the way, I could preach really, really slowly and irritate you all, but I won't. In conclusion, anyway, here's the thing. Christ calls us, certainly out of our own sin, out of our own wickedness to love him, to serve him, but he calls us onto a cosmic team to take over the universe. That's what he's doing. He's taking over it all. And he says, come join me. Come on the team. i got a spot for you. i got just the right thing for you. Come on the team. I'll outfit you. I'll train you. I'll get you. We'll work together. And we'll do this thing. You're called into a work. We talked about Sabbath this morning as one of the abiding issues that we see through Scripture and one of the ways we can understand salvation. And salvation, Sabbath is largely rest, right? It's cessation. And there's one day a week we have for that. But six days a week, it says, get to work. Your work. The work of your hands. At the shop, or in the classroom, or at home, or wherever you find yourself, is all brought into Christ taking over the whole thing. Every little thing you do is part of that. Christ calls you onto the cosmic takeover team. That's what we're doing. That's exciting stuff. And God's called you to be a part of it. You are baptized into it. If you're baptized into it, you don't have a choice. You're called into this thing. You're drafted in already. Now, get excited about it. Get excited to be on the team. Figure out where your part is. 
how you can play, how you work with the other players, and how we all, as common slaves to the one Lord, Master, Jesus Christ, how we serve Him, how we pour our lives out for Him in our daily living, and how we pour our lives out for Him even in our death. Because whether we live or we die, we are the Lord's. All of us is to service for Him. In this cosmic battle that He's fighting, and He will win, and He'll use us to do it. So every little part of your life, Christian, is therefore sanctified. It's brought out of the common world into the service of Jesus Christ. Now, if you want to take that pearl that I just set in front of you, and you want to trample it underfoot, and you want to turn on the pastor, then Christ will have his day with you. But as long as it's called today, it is the day of salvation. To flee from the wrath of Christ. To flee from the just wrath of God against our own sins. And rest in the one who gave himself up to death, all the way to death. The cursed death of the cross. They should be raised up to newness of life and say, come. Come on this side. Come to the side of light. Come to the side of righteousness. And you think, well, by nature, I don't like light. And I hate righteousness. That's why we need the work of God in us to do it to begin with. It is God who bursts us into his kingdom. And it doesn't matter if you've been sitting in the pew baptized your entire life. If you've not been birthed into the kingdom, you must come. Christ must do that work in you. And when he does that work, you'll find it was the work of baptism. And it was the work of that gospel you've been hearing all these years. But God must call us out of darkness into light. And we, Christian, must therefore serve him. Not as an option on every other Tuesday, but as a gospel necessity every day of the week. Christian, whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. And Jesus Christ is the Lord of both the dead and the living, and he will judge them all. So watch out. Flee. Flee to Christ. Come to him. Rest in Him. Rejoice in Him because He is sufficient. All sufficient. Not just to save you and to save me, certainly that, but to reconstitute the entire cosmos by His power. And say, come on, let's go. Let's get to work, Christian. So Christian, whether we live or die, we belong to the Lord. Let us serve Him in our bodies, in our minds, with our relationships, with our money, with all that we are. Let us serve the Lord in life. And in death. Amen.